Welcome to the Josh Scanlon Podcast. This episode first appeared as a video on my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash heritage wealth planning. I hope you find it informative. Thanks. Oh man, this is near and dear to my heart uh, from zerohedge.com. Just posted this today uh, by our namesake, Tyler Durden. And that's not his real name, but if you uh, follow Zero Hedge, you'll know who this guy is. The headline is Austrian economics is no longer the unheard music. And I'm going to read this verbatim because it's, uh, it's fantastic by Jeff Deist via the Mises Institute. Readers of a certain generation will remember the seminal 1980s rock band X, featured in Penelope Spheris's great documentary, The Decline of Western Civilization. Punk and alternative bands in the Tipper Gore era were struggled to get record deals, radio play, and even hire venues for gigs at their own expense. The Unheard Music, a song from the X's 1980 album Los Angeles, captures this struggle with the lyrics, We are locked out, out of the public eye, no hard chords on the car radio. So a DIY ethic emerged among bands like X and Black Flag. They bought dilapidated old vans and booked their own tours on the fly, using word of mouth and sleeping where they could. I've never, I was never a fan much of Black Flag. Uh, there's a band from California called Blast, who a lot of people compare to Black Flag, and uh, I love Blast, but Black Flag just didn't do much for me. That guy, Henry Rollins, became their singer, and I don't know, I, the guy's, he just was kind of, well, always saw as a pompous ass, but uh, be it as it may, they're, uh, they're legendary for sure. Uh, they bypassed radio station executives and snuck their cassette demos into late-night rotation through sympathetic disc jockeys like Rodney on the ROK, ROQ. They built their PA on PA boxes and printed their own T-shirts. They even created record labels like Discord, SST, very familiar with both of those, and alternative tentacle records, which would go on to challenge the major studios. I'm not sure they really challenged it, but uh, I remember SST for sure, and Discord. Uh, memory serves, I think Minor Threat was on Discord records, I forget. Ultimately, over time, they earned grudging respect from the music industry. They paved the way for countless local garage bands and aspiring YouTube musicians, to work outside of traditional institutions and channels. This, there's a tortured analogy, analogy here. Austrian school economics, economists in the U.S. once faced similar obstacles and similarly persevered to make their mark on a sclerotic profession badly in need of a shakeup. Largely shut out of the university economics departments after the Keynesian revolution of the 30s and 40s, brilliant Austrians like uh, von Mises, which is Ludwig von Mises, and, and Frederick Hayek had to find audiences and funding where they could. Organizations like the Volcker Fund and businessmen like Leonard Reed made it possible for Mises and Rothbard, uh, Rothbard, Murray Rothbard, to survive financially while producing books we cannot imagine not having today. Uh, organizations like the Volcker Fund. I wonder if that's Paul Volcker. I don't know. I bet it is. Uh, Leonard Reed, he uh, had written I Pencil, and everybody in history should read I Pencil. Benefactors like Henry Hazlitt uh, brought Austrian ideas to the public in the pages of the New York Times and Newsweek. Newsweek used to be an anti-commie rag, man. It's amazing how far that has come and just fallen. It just fallen. I, I don't know if anyone even reads it anymore. Popular authors like Ayn Rand, uh, Ayn Rand produced an intellectual defense of capitalism and publicly praised Mises' human action. DIY Austrians worked their way to the edges of academia, started and published their own journals, and did end runs around the gatekeepers to reach wider audiences. And slowly, over time, they succeeded. And there's uh, Mises, there's Rothbard, there's... Uh, that's it. Hayek. We got Mises on the left, Rothbard, and this—that's Hayek on the center. 
That's Rothbard in the center, I think, and Hayek. Who's that? Is that? I, I don't know. Uh, Mises, Rothbard, and Hayek. I think that's I think that's Hayek in the center there. Mises on the left. I'm not sure, actually. In the mid-20th century, the Austrian school reasserted itself in the new American home and planted a flag. Mises became a U.S. citizen. Rothbard published Man, Economy, and State in 1962, the first wholesale Austrian treatise in decades. Uh, von Mises wrote Human Action back in the 1900s, I think, 1905 or something like that, if memory serves. Uh, who's a guy, Siegel? Is it Bernard Siegel? And he wrote something in the 1800s, a German economist, which uh, predated von Mises' Human Action. I've drawn a blank with that book because I have it in my house. It's freaking awesome. Uh, the South Royalton Conference in 1974 created a coalescence of scholars who were prepared to think of themselves as a resurgent Austrian school, including Hayek. Hayek wrote the uh, seminal book called Economics in One Lesson. I had read that before I enrolled at George Mason. I remember going through, I had enrolled, and I was looking at the syllabus for some of the classes I was taking. And I wanted to, look, I was 22 years old. Just got out of the infantry, and I, I never did well in academics, and I, I was very, very nervous, actually. And I remember I said, I need to, these people, these kids can be so much further ahead of me, I'm going to study up. And so what I did is I bought all the books from the syllabus uh, to read in the summertime before classes started to try to catch up. And Henry Hazlitt's Economics One Lesson is one I did buy, and that uh, to some degree changed my life. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Hatcher, uh, let's see, Austrian School, we got Hayek, Rothbard, Israel Kurzner, Ludwig Lachman, not familiar with him, and Hazlitt. The Thatcher and Reagan years brought around the rhetoric, though not the reality, of market liberalism. Progress since then, particularly in publishing and academic employment for Australians, has been steady, but the digital age accelerated everything, making the great Austrian books and articles available free to anyone around the world with an internet connection. I'm telling you, uh, you can read Leonard Reed's I Pencil. Just type an I, uh, comma, pencil, and it's there for all to read. It's, it's just, it will literally uh, change your life because it's so, it's so incredible. The, uh, the, the ingenuity that goes into making something as simple as a pencil. Austrians today have an institutional and financial support, and Austrian PhDs work in academia, business, banking, finance, and investment houses in numbers unthinkable just a few decades ago. Of course, the Paul Krugmans and Noah Smiths and Greg Mankews still dominate the profession. Bad ideas still dominate university economics departments, but signs of the end of that dominance are everywhere. Even if those signs manifest in illiberal, populist uh, ways econ economics much don't like. Austrians today are right to ask, is supposedly mainstream economics doing any good? Does it benefit society? But beyond providing sinecures, I don't know how to say that, for academics, does it accurately predict anything? Does it help us discover truth or become more prosperous? Mainstream economics economists remain mired in mathematics and statistics exactly because Paul Samuelson uh, econ economics in the old days was based on philosophy, and then Paul Samuelson in the, in the MIT in the 50s and 60s, they may become uh, dominated by mathematics and statistics. So now you might as well have a PhD in mathematics if you want to study economic, economics, and I think that's slowly starting to change. Yet, unlike mathematicians, they fail to tell us much about the world. They view human action only in aggregates. They attempt to express economics in mathematical equations. Oh, here, here, man. I, uh, they criticize Mises as a literal, literary 
economist. They force backward-looking data into forward-looking models, and yet perversely, all of this data and empirical testing never seem to explain the booms or the time to bust. It never explains the same anything. They have all these statistical models and mathematical analysis, yet they can't predict anything. Never, don't even get me started on climate scientists either because they just they have this insane inability to predict stuff but this arrogance like they can it's nuts uh, the phillips curve that's all i'm gonna say about economics the phillips curve right the dismal science is in trouble and it deserves to be in trouble economic axioms cannot be flouted without consequence which means the central insights of the austrian school will prove will prove correct over the coming decades political money will unravel commodity money will reassert itself Central bankers were forced depositors into a bizarre world of negative interest rates, destroying capital and dramatically hurting savers. Central bankers, similarly, will do everything they can to avoid a stock market crash, and they'll once again buy assets and buy up and prop up equity, equities while telling us their fiat currencies are healthy, even as they quietly buy more gold than they have in decades. Governments, businesses, investors, and individuals will respond to loose monetary policy rashly by borrowing and spending instead of saving and investing. Mergers and activities, uh, mergers and acquisitions, stock buybacks, and other forms of financial engineering will attempt to extract tiny amounts of value from moribund companies. Federal Reserve officials will disavow outright monetization of government spending, i.e., modern monetary theory, which MMT, which is just silliness even as they partially practice it with an increasing debt financed federal budget. All this new money, all of this new money and credit will not be neutral, but will primarily benefit pol political and economic elites. The monetary al alchemy, i.e. nomi prins, will not work. Consumption will not magically substitute for production. Demand-sized stimulus, whether fiscal or monetary, will produce only ersatz and short-lived economic growth, and underlying incentives will continue to matter. Political movements in the U.S. towards greater degrees of socialism and bigger entitlements, i.e., or e.g., single-payer government health care, will encourage the gross misallocation of resources, just as Austrians warn. Bureaucrats, far more powerful than presidents or Congress, will steer the economy based on political expediency without regard to market signals. Capitalism will be blamed for any economic crisis, whether in jobs, housing, energy, stocks, or consumer prices. Positive economists will explain everything after the fact with no acknowledgement of their own complicity and lack of foresight. Nobody wants or hopes for a severe economic contraction. Nobody wants to see people suffer from bad political and economic policies, but debt and entitlements are unsustainable. The Fed's swollen balance sheet is unsustainable. Moving towards socialism is unsustainable. Austrian, Aust Austrians will be vindicated, but will they be heard? Man, what a great article. That's Austrian economics. Start with Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson. Read